Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. There are five capitals of the family. And if you're like me, you have no clue what that means. I'm Patrice Sikora, and with me is Tim Volk to explain these concepts and how it helps guide his approach to serving clients. All right, Tim, I need you. I need you. What is this <laughs> concept and how do you use it? Well, I'm honored to be able to explain this as my mentors have explained it to me, and I think it'll help us going forward in the podcast series to help frame the different topics that we'll have from the different guests, the different uh, wide variety of things we plan to discuss, and it helps to fit them into some context for our listeners to be able to then say, oh, and we know through the research and the years of my friends, uh, brethren in the work that we've done with families, we know that families that will thrive and flourish look at all these capitals as a way to check the box as to what they can do to nurture their family. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a very helpful way to frame it. My good friend and mentor, James E. Hughes Jr., really used this concept, outlined it, and and, and brought it forward into the practice, the wealth management practice, and, and what I would call a more enlightened approach to helping the families. And so these five capitals, and the way I like to look at it is, most people think of the family, they think of the money. But if we sort of ask you to park that idea for a minute, I'd like you to think about it in these five categories. One is the human capital of the family. That's the people. That's us, right? Makes sense. Two, it's the intellectual capital of the family. Each of the members of the family has a brain and the power of that brain, the intellectual capital. And if we were in a business, we would think about these two all the time. We'd say, you know, the heads of business all with the time say it's our people and and their ability to think that help us thrive in the business. It's the same principle with the family. The third element is the social capital, which is what binds us. What is this money for? What are we going to do? What is the purpose of our group, our family? The fourth is the spiritual capital. And no, it's not a religious thing. It's more what binds us? What are the values that we share? What is it that we believe? And what is it that is our family? What is it that represents our family? Those values and characteristics and what we want to pass forward. And all four of those rest on the fifth, which is the financial capital. So if you think about most of the time, and this is a visual that Jay Hughes would reference, is it your hand? If you look at it most times, people think the thumb is the financial capital and it's pulling up the other four capitals. But what I'd like you to do is kind of reverse that and put your thumb, turn your hand so that your thumb is underneath the four capitals. And it's this financial capital that is really designed to support the other four capitals. And so we know we want to nurture those capitals, and the result of that will be the family flourishing and thriving. We also want to, as we work and support the work of their trusted advisors around them, we want them to embrace that as well. 
All right, so, question here. Mm-hmm. If one of these capitals is missing, perhaps the social or the spiritual, what happens to the family? You know, the joke in our work is that you've seen one family in family office, you've seen one family in one family office. <laughs> that is, the, the idea is that we don't know what would happen. It just makes it harder for them to thrive. If they don't share the value system, which is the spiritual capital, and they don't have a focus, what are we going to do with the success? Many families use philanthropy as a way to bind together the family and, and help them come together as to what our purpose is as a family. And that is to, you know, create a healthy, loving and supporting family. Maybe that we want all of the rising generation to have opportunity to education, whatever that education, advanced education, whatever that may be. We want the families and the branches of the family to engage in passing this forward and helping the world at large. The family may have a foundation. They may also have a collective philanthropic committee that works on how does the family, you know, together impact the charitable work that they want to do. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's to eradicate hunger or provide fresh water to third world or to make sure education is is afforded to disadvantaged youth in the United States, particularly the minorities. I mean, there's families that have really great big mission statements, and I think that helps to bind the family. That's interesting. I've don't often think of a family, a well-off family, creating a mission statement. Yeah, I think it's something we can all do. I get very excited about it because I recently wrote a chapter on inclusion for the Global Law Family Office Journal. And, and one of the things that came to mind when I was doing this chapter, and I happened to be watching Crazy Rich Asians, which is a fun movie, yes. and my mom had never seen it. And the son was in the bedroom and he had spilled on his suit and he was changing his shirt and putting it together and she was kind of brushing him off. And he said, um, well, I thought you'd be very happy that the first girl I ever bring home is Chinese. And the mother turns and says, Chinese American, the worst. <laughs> and I just cracked up because I thought, oh my God, this has been going on for generations. You know, how do we, the inclusion, which my focus has been on the LGBTQ plus community, but the reality is that inclusion is a broad topic, right? It's education, it's sex, it's where you're from, what you bring to the table. Uh, you know, it's been going on for thousands of years. Well, <laughs> you know, one of the exercises that we can do with families is we can each write our mission statement of what we want to accomplish in our life beyond the money. And then we as a couple, whether you're same-sex couple or, or straight couple, you can do a mission statement together. And then that broader mission statement as a family unit, and you may take it to the bigger family unit, like if you have multiple branches in the family and are organized. But even if you're not, the exercise of creating a mission statement helps you and it helps anybody you're involved with as a family member. Understand what you guys are looking at, what each of you have deep desires about beyond the money. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I have never thought of creating a mission statement for myself. Right. I'm almost afraid of what it might come up with, but that is a great, <laughs> if nothing else, a great exercise to begin with. Absolutely. And it's, again, an example of, you know, what the secrets we've learned working with wealthy families, how do we pay that forward? And in a broader way, how can we share that, which is the purpose of, of the Rainbow Bowl? And we can have these great conversations about how really wealthy families approach things with great resources and great thought. And maybe we can share that and, and use it ourselves. Talk to me about entitlement. 
you know, in in a way, it's kind of like the evil that creeps into the family. Nobody likes the idea of entitlement, and nobody likes the idea of being around entitled people. We seem to have quite a bit of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no examples right now. No, and I, I don't want to think that I sound like an old person when I talk <laughs> like that. I mean, ugh. But it does seem that the family, you know, one of the challenges that families have, particularly those that have enormous wealth, is to get everyone in the family to self-actualize. In other words, to get people to find their own path, their own life, and to do great things to make themselves happy. And a great story that that Jay, Jay Hughes told me years ago, which I love the story, it's a great visual, is that of the grandparents of a very successful business. And they had sold the business, and they were enormously wealthy. And they had raised great children, but they decided that they were going to pass this on to the grandchildren. So they would write these beautiful letters every year as they would tell the grandchildren that they had out of the great love and success that they had been experienced in their life, they wanted to pay forward to them by a gift of money that they wanted to help them to find their life mission, their life's purpose, and to help themselves become self-actualized, as I would say, that would help them to move and do great things in their life, to accomplish great things, to be a great citizen, to be a great steward for the family, and to be overall just a really good person, and that they had great expectations with the money that that's what you would do. So they were making a wonderful gift of love, mm -hmm. right? And when the grandfather passed away unexpectedly, the grandmother would continue that effort. The next year, you know, she was fortunate enough to work with a great trust officer of a great trust company in a bank. And she had uh, the trust officer. He had an assistant that would call grandma and tell her, okay, we need to make these distributions. It's time for you to start writing the letters in October. She would write the letters, send the check. Everything was going just as planned. And the children would read, the grandchildren would get it. They would love it. And she'd show up at the family holiday. It was just a really joyous time. The following year, the trust officer lost uh, through a reduction in force. They lost their assistant and the assistant. So therefore, no, grandma didn't get the call in October, but got a call from the trust officer in December that said, you know, grandma, don't forget to write these checks. It's very important we get these distributed out of the trust. You've got to write the check. So she literally just wrote out checks, put it in an envelope and sent it to the children. So we've moved from going from a gift of love to a transfer. The money was transferred. Just a check, yeah. The following year, as would have it, the trust officer was left the bank, and the new trust officer didn't know that they were to call. Nobody called grandma to remind her to send the checks out. She then goes and arrives at the holiday dinner with the handmade hats that she makes for everybody. And she brought everybody new pajamas like she does every year in socks. But they all sat there after opening them, looking at her. And they said, Grandma, didn't you forget something? And she's like looking at them like, what did I forget? And they said, the money. Oh, That she was a little aghast at that. One, that she had forgotten, but two, just the way they asked her. So was that entitlement? And it's such a slippery slope, right? Such an easy thing. Yet, and I have found myself in that same predicament at times in my life. And so I'm I'm just being honest about it, that, you know, it's not something that we re easily recognize, but I think it's important for us to keep in mind. 
How do we focus beyond the money? How do you talk to your families? When we talk to the families, it's really important that we capture what really is making that. What are they thinking about? What is it they want to do? What is it that the family is doing, particularly if there's a legacy there? And how have they communicated that to the rising generations? Frequently, I find that they've not communicated it. And an example was, you know, a family that I was working with. They're just wonderful, wonderful people. It was a group of brothers and sisters, and they, you know, like seven or eight, it was a big family. They were talking about, like, they just don't know what their children are going to do. They just don't know. The children have never said what they want to do. And I'm like, I just need to clarify. Are we talking about the children, the grandchildren, or in some cases, your grandchildren that are pretty close to having children? <laughs> they looked at me and said, oh, no, just our children. I said, okay. And then when I went and talked to the kids, I talked to all the children, the grandchildren, I talked to everybody, interviewed them and did a full interview and assessment to try and understand where everybody was at, which is part of our process. The uh, children said to me, well, we don't, the parents have never told us what we want or what they want. And so we've been waiting for them to tell us what we want. So I said, let me get this straight. The children are waiting for the parents to tell them what they want. The parents are waiting for the children to tell them what they want. It's like... It's like you showed up at the OK Corral with nobody at each end with no guns. <laughs> it's like <laughs> nobody's talking. <laughs> so I thought, well, the first thing we have to do is to really kind of share some of the common themes, themes, concerns, things that people like about the family. And in some ways for families like this, it was great. We create a family committee that morphs into a family council and the family council means that have representative from each branch of the family and their purpose is to help steward the overall family and the well-being of the family and its members. And then also to help the family make good joint decisions about the shared assets that they have together. Whether it's a vacation home, many times it's investments or trusts, mm -hmm. many times it's a complication set of assets they own together. And the technical term in our industry is governance. It's a really big name, big term, and I'm not crazy about it myself, so I can't imagine the families are. It sounds very ominous, but it really is you know, about the families making good joint decisions together. And so we want to teach them how to do that. And in doing that, by people understanding what their purpose is, what they can do, you know, how they can nurture their interests, their natural abilities, and their natural passions, the family can thrive and avoid I want, entitlement. I want to get into talking more about those leadership roles too and how people, do they grow into them? But first I want to ask, during COVID, did you see things change? Did, did oh, priorities yeah. change? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think COVID created a new sense of mortality and whether people were, you know, there were clients on both sides one you know that would say i've gotten every possible you know, vaccination i'm wearing a mask i'm not going out i'm wearing gloves i mean there there were there were the really radical people that were scared to death of contracting it and on the other side of it we had clients that would <laughs> say that this whole thing is you know was, made oh. up mm. and and it's you know the government's trying to kill us all and and um 
And I would just have to say to them, look, I understand that you believe that the government's, and I, I applaud that you think that the government's that organized, but in the case they're not, <laughs> let's just focus on what we can do with your estate planning today and how you're going to talk about this with the family. And I think that there is a real common problem today where families have a great divide. We see more divide amongst families because of politics than we've ever seen. And that was due to COVID. And I think it really was how COVID got handled and it was made a political issue instead of a, a health issue. So I think COVID has been a problem, uh, particularly for the advisors mm-hmm. that are dealing with these extremes in the families. And then in some cases, the family offices are, you know, some of the family's offices are, are really not being unwound or, or are not able to function because the families can't make these joint decisions together anymore. Which brings me to the question of leadership. When you mm-hmm. get a family member leading a family council, do the members listen to the leader? I mean, they're part of the family. It sounds like a simple question. It's a little more complicated than that. I think that we can learn from this situation is that families are, and it kind of goes back to what I talked about with the crazy rich Asians, the bloodline, and that families are obsessed with that. In some cases, I had another client family that I really enjoyed as well, but they would meet with us and it was a, a large group of brothers that had inherited the family's enterprise and they were clear the parents when they were alive were clear that the wives would not be involved in that. And I think one of the challenges that you have is immediately there were sort of lines drawn that that they were not blood. And so even though the parents had passed away and these siblings had now been the leadership of the family, the wives of the family felt like they weren't part of it. And so I finally just said, you know, the children you have and the grandchildren don't see you as grandma non-bloodline grandpa bloodline they see you as grandma and grandpa or aunt and uncle that concept you've carried forward and you're the one that's sort of preserving that concept and the reality is in the estate planning that gets done the wives take an important role in the estate planning because as a spouse commonly whether you're straight or gay you trust the spouse explicitly you know, with all these decisions, if something happens to me, my husband takes over, right? Mm-hmm. But particularly if I'm alive and I'm just not able to function. But even if I die, then there has to be leadership to this stuff. So it's interesting because when I talk to the families, we talk about who are the people in the family that are really the champions of the family? It's not that, that the family doesn't love each other, all the members. It just seems like families, there's always the the cousin or the aunt or the uncle that actually hosts everybody for the dinners or the celebrations or just the fun things where the family comes together, right? And those people that help to rally that group, that family gathering, are really some of the champions. And we we want to bring them together and talk about what they feel and what the stories and how they see the family. So I find it interesting that you'll see one of the cousins or whatever that actually talks to everybody. Even the people that don't talk to each other, they talk to that cousin. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, it all happened years ago when when Joe's wife, you know, had the fight over the pie that Becky made. And uh, it's just some crazy thing, but it gets exacerbated, right? Or 
that you didn't get invited to the wedding of one of the children, and that's because they were trying to keep the numbers down, but they did they want to invite everybody. They didn't want to invite everybody, but we didn't get an invitation. But the kids did. And it just so we have to kind of get to the root of some of the problems. And then those champions really become sort of the apparent leaders of the family. And then as they start to form a family committee, which is really the let's call them the cheerleaders of the family, and they can start to put together sort of a framework that we can have together as a family to make good decisions. And we can present that to the overall family and then everybody can weigh in as to whether they want to be part of that and what role they want to play. So then it becomes sort of an opt-in. Many times the families take the oldest member of the family, male or female, maybe the head of the family business, maybe the head of the trust, maybe all somebody, but they have other jobs they're trying to do. And then they try to make them the head of the family committee or council. And it becomes too much. And instead, they need another voice there. They need someone else that is a different way of rallying the troops, not necessarily around the business or the financial interests. Mm-hmm. And so I find that that, that new voice and, and my concept that Jay has really taught and so many of my friends that we know that all voices have to be heard around the table in order for the family to thrive. And sometimes it's the quiet voice or the voice that's the, you know, what I'll call the black sheep of the family. And in my case, the rainbow sheep of the family that, you know, has to get hurt. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yes, you. Thanks so much for listening to the Rainbow Bull. We hope you're enjoying it so far. And if you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at www.tvolco.com. And all our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. Last time around, you told us a bit about your story. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go through that again in relation to what you've just talked about? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's look at at your family council. Did you have one? No, we don't have a family council per se. I would say that there is an informal council, informal family committee of people that will come together and rally the the family, uh, depending on what's going on, what type of event is going on. I think with the is it is it generational? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it's generational. I think a lot of times families, particularly the parents, fear bringing all the children together because they don't want to fight. They don't want anything to go wrong, and I think. Sometimes the benefit of the doubt needs to be given that everybody's going to come together to behave, especially as we get older. I think sometimes parents think of their children. I know mine sometimes think of me as, oh, you know, you remember when you used to argue with people? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I think it's changed. I still argue with people, but not necessarily a hot-headed you know, re- response. Mm-hmm. So. We do change, we do evolve, and there's a whole lesson learned, particularly as we get older, much of the stuff moderates. And my interest is what I find sometimes with my own siblings is I have to judge less. I have to accept my siblings as to who they are now, not try to think about who they should be or what they could do or, you know. And my role is the brother. My role is not the head of the family. That is our parents' role or the grandparents. We were fortunate we knew our grandparents. And in my case, I knew my great grandparents. So I had a great 
legacy that had been alive when I was born and lived through. And I think that there was a lot of that expectation and character and what our family's about and the value system that was passed on. My concern is how do we pass it on going forward? Mm-hmm. How do we get my nieces and nephews and their children to be able to know all that happened in the family in the stories that get passed down? And some of them are great stories, right? <laughs> yes, I can imagine. I think every family has great stories if you're lucky enough to have learned them. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so you, you never you never learn them or you get blindsided at a party and, you know, Aunt Sis comes over and says, hey, did you know? No, I didn't. <laughs> Were you going to tell me? But it, it's uh, families are unique, very unique. They're their own systems. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that we do in working with them in my practice is I'd like to say that we have sort of a systematized approach, but each family has their own nuance that we adapt to and try to make it a more custom fit because every family has their own desire and own beliefs and own situation and dynamics. There's a lot of common themes. And so those themes are what we're trying to capture in the podcast series to help to share what we can learn and adapt in everyday life for most people. You know, how can we adapt to that? We crave leadership in real life right now. And I think families are in the same boat. But leadership, you know, there are some natural born leaders. I get that. But I think a lot of times leadership is something where you have to have people that are great mentors. And so the older members of the family, and I don't want to sound bold in telling them what to do, but in some cases, you know, the families, the different stages of life, some of the family members need to leave the adulthood section and move into elder roles. And think of it in tribal culture, like Native American culture, some of the most successful culture and we know in the United States, but there are Native cultures around the world, Native to each land, right? Mm -hmm. And so the elders council, they're not involved with the day-to-day drama. That's not what they're doing. They're not operating the family or running the business of the family. But they are there to settle arguments you know, when there's an impasse, mm-hmm. they're there to remind the family of the purpose, the mission. So if they feel like the family leadership is straying from the original mission, their role is to kind of hold the context for the family and, and they- to be there as the as the wise elder, the sage. And if you come to ask a question, they may tell you the story. They may not give you the answer you're looking for, but they're going to tell you a story to make you think about how to get to the answer. Do they hold you accountable? Oh, yeah. The elders hold the, they hold the leadership more accountable, I think, than the individual members, because they look to the leadership of the family to help keep the family together. So not everybody is a bright financial wizard in the family. And you know, if you're lucky, if you have one of those people that could really manage the money and understand the complexity of, of, of investment strategy and execution. But there are other members of the family that have great minds that can be utilized in other ways. The role of the family council and the family committee, if they don't have a council, is to really help nurture and nourish those different elements within each of the family members. And sometimes... 
Sometimes the family members struggle and they need a hand up and they need help. So those that can help should help. And I think that's a very challenging thing to do, particularly when you're dealing in crisis, you know, whether it's addiction, mental health. Uh, we'll have a good friend of mine, Arden O'Connor, on. We're going to do a series around that. And I think, you know, her insights will be very helpful for our listeners as to how do we take care of, how do we solve for some of the problems that we face? And that some of them are very urgent. Others are not urgent, but they're on the radar. Like you can see them happening slowly, mm-hmm. especially if it's entitlement. True. Tim, we're just about at the end of our time here. Is there something? It goes so fast. I know it does, doesn't it? I always have so much to say. (laughs) Well, you've got about 30 seconds. Go ahead. You've got as much time as you need. Is there something you either wanted to revisit, like the five capitals, maybe list them again, and or is there something we haven't even touched on yet? You know, I think the five capitals help families, again, frame conversations so you know the human intellectual social spiritual and financial capitals of the family and it's so funny because you know as much as we beat up uh business in the united states business in america so many of the businesses do a great job of stewarding all five of these and you know we don't start the family thanksgiving dinner by dad saying or grandma saying, our family has really nurtured all five capitals of the family this year. And so we want to be grateful for that. We could, we could acknowledge it. And I think that there needs to be a little tongue in cheek applied to some of this so that there's a little humor around it. But the idea of creating a group of people that are dedicated to the family that are going to help particularly those family members that may need special help or long-term may need uh, extra help that creates a family structure to support that in a very organized, (laughs) uniform way. And it allows for people who want to participate and become future leaders in the family, a path to do that. So you can have ad hoc committees You can help to teach the younger generations or what I call the rising generations to take more responsibility and to be able to use all of these things that the family is trying to do as opportunity to learn and grow and share that beyond the family. Great thoughts for another podcast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, seriously. Deal. Supporting. Yeah. Okay. Supporting the younger members of the family, bringing them up. Yeah. And showing them the ropes and maybe letting them fail. Yep. That's a big deal. Sometimes families don't want their kids to fail. And I, you know, sometimes you got to fall down and pick yourself up and realize, okay, I've got to do it. Got to keep going. Well, how can listeners reach you, Tim? Oh, I'd, I'd love to hear from the listeners. You can email me at tim.volk at tvolko.com. And then that's T-I-M dot V-O-L-K at T-V-O-L-K-C-O dot com. Or you can call me on my mobile, 312-636-5855 or text. Sometimes it's probably easier to text, so I know that you're trying to reach me and not a robocall. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, feel free to call. And I want to hear about things that people want to talk about. So if you're facing some interesting 
pondering some uh, unique question and you want to think about some of the resources that we can bring to bear to talk about it, then we'll do that. All right. So follow this podcast, share with friends, share with the family, and contact Tim. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull Podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.